Decision Podcasts by the New York Prosecutors Training Institute are made possible by VoicePods. Convert your text to voice at voicepods.com. Read this decision at NIPT Law. www.nypti.org slash law. People v. Marina Y. Viviani, decided on March 30, 2021. Garcia, J. As part of the Protection of People with Special Needs Act, the legislature enacted Executive Law Section 552, which created a special prosecutor, appointed by the governor, empowered to investigate and prosecute crimes of abuse or neglect of vulnerable victims in facilities operated, licensed, or certified by the state. The special prosecutor, acting pursuant to this statutory authority, obtained indictments against the three defendants in the cases before us. Defendants assert that the statute is an unconstitutional delegation of core prosecutorial authority away from the county district attorney's elected constitutional officers to an unelected appointee of the governor. The attorney general, intervening pursuant to executive law section 71, argues for a saving construction that would have us read into the law certain conditions on the special prosecutor's authority. We recognize that this well-intentioned legislation was aimed at protecting a particularly vulnerable class of victims. But we cannot rewrite a statute in order to save it. Accordingly, we hold the provisions of Executive Law Section 552 creating a special prosecutor with authority concurrent with that of the district attorneys to be unconstitutional and, on that ground, affirm. 1. Following news reports of physical and sexual abuse of individuals with special needs at facilities operated or supported by the state, the governor appointed a special advisor on vulnerable persons to investigate these alleged institutional failings and to develop appropriate recommendations. The ensuing report, released in April 2012, concluded that there was a disinclination on the part of law enforcement to invest the resources necessary to investigate and prosecute cases of abuse and neglect at these facilities. See Clarence J. Sundrum, report to Governor Andrew M. Cuomo, The Measure of a Society, Protection of Vulnerable Persons in Residential Facilities Against Abuse and Neglect, 2012, Sundrum Report. Accordingly, the report recommended, among other things, the creation of an office with authority to investigate and prosecute abuse and neglect crimes against vulnerable persons. The legislature, in turn, recognizing the need to strengthen and standardize the safety net for vulnerable persons who are receiving care from New York's human service agencies and programs, enacted the Protection of People with Special Needs Act, Special Needs Act, L-2012, CH-501, Section 2, Part A, Section 1. As this court has previously recognized, the statutory overhaul embodied in the Special Needs Act was necessary not only to address isolated incidents of abuse and neglect, but also to resolve systemic problems, such as inadequate staffing, training, and supervision, which often cause or contribute to incidents of abuse and neglect, matter of anonymous v. Molik. Based on specific recommendations in the Sundrum Report, the Special Needs Act created a justice center, whose primary focus would be on the protection of vulnerable persons, L-2012, CH-501, Part A, Section 1. To further that goal, the Special Needs Act empowered the Justice Center to investigate reports of abuse and neglect and to conduct disciplinary proceedings for state employees in any instance of substantiated findings, Executive Law Section 552, 1. 
The two assigned responsibilities are served by separate units within the Justice Center, one responsible for the prosecution of criminal matters and one for the resolution of non-criminal matters. Beyond providing for the platform and structure of the Justice Center, Executive Law Section 552 created a new, Special Prosecutor and Inspector General, Special Prosecutor, appointed by the Governor, with the express authority to 1. Investigate and prosecute offenses involving abuse or neglect against a vulnerable person by the person's professional caregiver, and 2. Cooperate with and assist district attorneys and local law enforcement in their efforts against such abuse or neglect of vulnerable persons. To bolster the ability of the state to respond more effectively to abuse and neglect of vulnerable persons, without creating additional burdens on local law enforcement, the legislature, in the Special Needs Act's prefatory statement, expressed its intent to give the Justice Center concurrent authority with district attorneys to prosecute abuse and neglect crimes committed against such persons, L-2012, CH-501, Part A, Section 1. Nevertheless, it also included in the legislation the admonition that nothing in the statute shall interfere with the ability of district attorneys at any time to receive complaints, investigate and prosecute any suspected abuse or neglect, Executive Law Section 552, 2, a Several provisions in the statute concern specific prosecutorial functions. First, although the special prosecutor may apply for search warrants, absent exigent circumstances, the special prosecutor shall give prior notice of the warrant application to the district attorney of the county in which such a warrant is to be executed. Second, the special prosecutor may, after consultation with the district attorney, appear in any grand jury in its attending superior court for the purpose of managing and conducting a criminal action or proceeding concerned with an offense where any conduct constituting or requisite to the completion of or in any other manner related to such offense involved the abuse or neglect of a vulnerable person. While appearing in court or before the grand jury, the special prosecutor may exercise all the powers and perform all the duties in respect of such actions or proceedings which the district attorney would otherwise be authorized or required to exercise or perform. 2. Each of the three appeals at issue here involves a defendant who was alleged to have sexually abused a vulnerable person in the defendant's care conduct falling within the purview of the special prosecutor's jurisdiction. In each case, the special prosecutor appeared before the grand jury and obtained an indictment charging various sex offenses. Each defendant moved to dismiss the indictment, arguing that Executive Law Section 552, creating the special prosecutor, is an impermissible attempt to delegate prosecutorial authority to an unelected official from the Justice Center and is therefore facially unconstitutional. The Attorney General intervened and maintained that, for the statute to pass constitutional muster, it must be read to allow the special prosecutor to pursue a case only as a delegate of the county district attorney's prosecutorial authority. The trial court in each case, relying primarily on the reasoning of the dissent in People v. Davidson held that, in order to avoid finding Executive Law Section 552 unconstitutional, the statute must be construed to authorize the special prosecutor to act only if the local district attorney, 1. consents to the special prosecutor conducting the prosecution, and 2. retains ultimate responsibility for the prosecution. Finding that those requirements had not been met, the court in each case dismissed the indictment. 
The appellate division affirmed in all three cases, holding that the legislature may not grant the special prosecutor independent, concurrent authority with district attorneys to prosecute individuals accused of crimes against vulnerable persons, People v. Hodgden, quoting Davidson, see People v. Viviani, affirming for the reasons in Hodgden, People v. Hope. District attorneys, the appellate division held, are elected constitutional officers who possess the prosecutorial authority of determining whom, whether and how to prosecute, and the legislature has no authority to transfer that essential function of a district attorney to a different officer chosen in a different manner, Hodgden, quoting Davidson. Applying the canon of statutory construction that seeks to avoid a constitutional conflict when the language of a statute is ambiguous, the appellate division read the statute to permit the special prosecutor to prosecute offenses arising from the abuse and neglect of vulnerable individuals only where the special prosecutor first obtains the knowing, written consent of a local district attorney to do so, and the local district attorney agrees to retain ultimate responsibility for the prosecution. As those requirements had not been met, the appellate division held that the indictment was properly dismissed in each case. This court granted leave to appeal in each case and we now affirm. We hold, however, that the relevant provisions of the Special Needs Act granting the special prosecutor concurrent prosecutorial authority with the district attorneys are not reasonably interpreted as proposed by the Attorney General and are therefore unconstitutional. 3. A statute enjoys a strong presumption of constitutionality. Overstock.com, Inc. v. New York State Department of Taxation and Finance quoting Lavalli v. Hayden. To rebut that presumption, the party attempting to strike down a statute as facially unconstitutional bears the heavy burden of proving beyond a reasonable doubt that the statute is in conflict with the Constitution. McKinney's Cons Laws of NY, Book 1, Statutes Section 150, a comment. See Overstock.com. Cohen v. Cuomo, Matter of Fay. Despite that appropriately heavy burden, we conclude that the challenged portions of Executive Law Section 552, those granting the special prosecutor concurrent prosecutorial powers with the district attorneys, are facially unconstitutional. The question presented here turns on the impact of legislative action on the authority of a constitutional officer. More than 100 years ago, in People x Rel. Wogan v. Rafferty, we considered a constitutional challenge to legislation authorizing the King's County Clerk, an elected constitutional officer, to appoint a deputy county clerk who would have the full power to act as the chief clerk for the county court of King's County. The fundamental objection to the law was that it took away from the county clerk, who is a constitutional officer, an integral and essential part of his office, to wit, the clerkship of the county court and gave it to a non-elected, non-constitutional officer. In holding the challenge provisions unconstitutional, this court made clear that, where the Constitution establishes a specified office, or recognizes its existence, and prescribes the manner in which it shall be filled, the legislature may not transfer any essential function of the office to a different officer chosen in a different manner. Here, we must consider whether the creation of the special prosecutor by the legislature runs afoul of the rule set out in Wogan namely, whether Executive Law Section 552 takes an essential function from a constitutional officer and gives it to a different officer chosen in a different manner. We conclude that it does. Through colonial times and until 1796, 
The Attorney General had exclusive authority and responsibility for prosecuting crimes in the state, People v. Gilmore. That year saw the genesis of the Office of the District Attorney, when, in an effort to provide for some local control over criminal prosecutions, the legislature vested prosecutorial powers in Assistant Attorneys General, who, despite their misleading title, were independent of the State Attorney General, and served in each of the seven districts of the state. In 1801, the legislature created the Office of District Attorney. The title denoted jurisdiction. Each prosecutor would have authority over a specific district, comprised of several counties. Jurisdiction changed but the title remained in 1818, when the legislature created a separate district attorney for each county. By this time, it was already well settled that each district attorney's office had general prosecutorial authority within the county in which it was situated, CL 1818, CH 23, Gilmore. The district attorney was made a constitutional officer in 1821, and the Constitution of 1846 made the office an elective one, CNY Const, Art X, Section 1, 1846, and so it remains, CNY Const, Art 13, Section 13. Although the Constitution establishes the elected office of the district attorney, it does not assign prosecutorial authority to any constitutional officer, leaving that allocation as a matter for the legislature. See Gilmore. Matter of Johnson v. Pataki. See also Wogan. The legislature may prescribe the powers and duties of the clerks of the Supreme Court but it may not deprive the clerks of the right to exercise and discharge those powers and duties by any form of legislation. The county law accomplishes the task by providing that it is the duty of every district attorney to conduct all prosecutions for crimes and offenses cognizable by the courts of the county for which such district attorney shall have been elected or appointed, County Law Section 701. District attorneys, in sum, have plenary prosecutorial power in the counties where they are elected, People v. Romero. And, as we have explained on a number of occasions, the essence of a district attorney's constitutional, statutory and common law prosecutorial authority is the discretionary power to determine whom, whether and how to prosecute, in a criminal matter, matter of Haggerty v. Himmeline, quoting matter of Schumer v. Holtzman, see matter of Soros v. Carter, it is within the sole discretion of each district attorney's executive power to orchestrate the prosecution of those who violate the criminal laws of this state. The history of the office of the district attorney and the scope of the authority allocated to this officer answers the constitutional question. Executive Law Section 552 deprives the elected district attorneys of an essential function of their constitutional office namely, the discretionary power to determine whom, whether and how to prosecute, in a criminal matter, Haggerty, 89, quoting Schumer, by vesting concurrent discretionary power in a different officer, appointed by the governor, CL 2012, CH 501, Part A, Section 1, Executive Law Section 552, 2, A, C. Accordingly, the statute runs afoul of the rule set out in Wogan. The case law and statutes put forward by the special prosecutor in arguing against this conclusion involve delegations of prosecutorial authority that operate quite differently. In those examples, authority is delegated on a case-by-case -case basis, in most instances to the attorney general, another constitutional officer with some historical law enforcement power, see Gilmore. 
For example, in People v. Leahy, we considered the appointment of a special prosecutor made by a Supreme Court justice at the request of the local district attorney pursuant to County Law Section 701. Although, as we noted, that statute serves the exceptional function of displacing an elected constitutional officer, we recognize that this authority can be used only in a particular case in which the duly elected district attorney is unable or disqualified to act and is designed narrowly by its terms to fill emergency gaps in an elected prosecutorial official's responsibility, quoting County Law Section 701. Unlike the governor's authority in Executive Law Section 552, County Law Section 701 does not authorize the court to make a discretionary decision to appoint a special prosecutor to displace or act in parallel with a qualified district attorney. Rather, the statute comes into play only when the local elected district attorney is incapable of prosecuting. In Leahy, we concluded that the statute had not been strictly complied with and dismissed the indictment, noting that, our holding comports with an undeviating line of decisions fastidiously circumscribing superseders or transfers of authority of elected prosecutors in a wide variety of situations. Equally misplaced is the special prosecutor's reliance on Executive Law Section 63, 2, Executive Law Section 70A, and Judiciary Law Section 177C. Each of those statutes involves a delegation of prosecutorial authority to one of the elected constitutional offices responsible for conducting criminal prosecutions the district attorney or the attorney general. See Executive Law Section 63, 2 affording the governor the discretion to supersede the local district attorney and appoint the attorney general to prosecute a local crime, Executive Law Section 70A, creating the statewide organized crime task force, the head of which is a deputy attorney general who is authorized to prosecute cases involving organized crime, Judiciary Law Section 177C, creating the special narcotics prosecutor for New York City, the head of which is an assistant district attorney appointed to the staff of one of the district attorney's offices in the five boroughs. All told, there is simply no analogy, in precedent or in statute, to Executive Law Section 552's creation of a statewide prosecutor, appointed by the governor, with concurrent prosecutorial authority over a set of enumerated crimes. 4. Nor can the constitutionality of Executive Law Section 552 be preserved by application of the canon of statutory interpretation providing that a statute should be construed, whenever possible, in a way that avoids placing its constitutionality in doubt. See matter of Lori C. Although it is well settled that, a statute ought normally to be saved by construing it in accord with constitutional requirements. The very language of the statute must be fairly susceptible of such an interpretation. Put otherwise, the saving construction must be one which the court may reasonably find implicit in the words used by the legislature, People v. Dietza, quoting People x Rel. Moriel v. Branham. The Attorney General proposes we find implicit in the statute a requirement that, in order for the special prosecutor to act, the local district attorney must, 1 consent perhaps even in writing to the prosecution, and, two, retain the ultimate responsibility for that prosecution. This we cannot do. The touchstone of the avoidance canon is the text of the statute, and, unquestionably, the text of Executive Law Section 552 contains no express requirement that the local district attorney consent to, and retain authority for, the prosecution of the designated crimes. See Pyak v. Pyak. 
the failure of the legislature to include a specific requirement or limitation in a statute must be viewed as a matter of legislative design. McKinney's Cons Laws of NY, Book 1, Statutes Section 74, the failure of the legislature to include a matter within the scope of an act may be construed as an indication that its exclusion was intended. Indeed, as the appellate division acknowledged, there is no explicit support in the statute for the saving construction advanced by the Attorney General, Hodgden. To the contrary, it is at odds with the Special Needs Act. In the Special Needs Act's prefatory statement, the legislature made clear its intent to afford the special prosecutor and the county district attorneys, concurrent prosecutorial authority, L-2012, Chapter 501, Part A, Section 1. It has long been recognized that an act's prefatory statement, although not part of the statute itself, is both an important tool, for the purpose of expounding the language of a statute, and, a key to open the mind of the legislature as to the objects which are to be accomplished by the provisions of the statute. Joseph Story, Commentaries on the Constitution of the United States, 1883, see Bank for Savings v. Grace, the preamble may be said to state the ground and cause of making, the Act, McKinney's Cons Laws of NY, Book 1, Statutes Section 122, Comment, a preamble frequently contains recitals which illuminate the purpose and intent of the enactment. The purpose and intent of the Special Needs Act was to give the special prosecutor and district attorneys concurrent power over certain prosecutions. That is, authority on the same matters, Black's Law Dictionary, 11th ed. 2019, defining, concurrent. Moreover, the preamble's declaration of intent to grant concurrent authority finds concrete expression in the text of the statute. The Special Needs Act explicitly allows the special prosecutor to exercise all the powers and perform all the duties that the district attorney would be authorized or required to exercise or perform, Executive Law Section 552, 2c and makes a corresponding amendment adding the special prosecutor to the definition of district attorney, found in the Criminal Procedure Law, CPL 1.2032. These provisions plainly refute any intention on the part of the legislature to condition the special prosecutor's authority on the conduct of the local district attorney. Notwithstanding the absence of any language in the text requiring consent and retention of authority by the district attorney, and the specific language making clear the omission was intentional. The parties suggest that the proposed conditions on the special prosecutor's authority can be gleaned from several of the statute subdivisions. We disagree. The statute does include subdivisions directing the special prosecutor to give the local district attorney notice of a search warrant application, Executive Law Section 552, 2, b, and to consult with the local district attorney as to the time and place of any appearance before a grand jury or superior court, id. Section 552, 2, c. The clear import of these modest requirements is that the special prosecutor must keep the local district attorney informed of her intention to take certain steps, not that the special prosecutor must obtain the local district attorney's permission before doing so. Put simply, the aims of the cited provisions are coordination and scheduling, not consent. The proposed requirement that the local district attorney retain ultimate responsibility for the prosecution similarly lacks statutory support and would instead need to be imported from language found in this court's decisions in People v. Sadano and People v. Van Sickle. 
However, in both Sadano and Van Sickle, the issue was whether the district attorney had properly delegated authority to a public officer or private party. See Sadano, state trooper prosecuting speeding offense. Van Sickle, complaining witness prosecuting misdemeanor assault. In interpreting the relevant statutes making the duty to conduct all prosecutions within the county non-delegable by the district attorney except as specified in the law, we held that the local district attorney must, in all cases, retain the ultimate responsibility for conducting prosecutions in his or her county, Sadano, Van Sickle, see County Law Section 701. The ultimate responsibility language was a limit or check on what authority the district attorney could delegate under the controlling statutes, see Sadano. It was not intended as a restriction on the legislature or as justification for reading that language into other laws. Finally, neither of these suggested requirements can be inferred from the statutory language providing that nothing herein shall interfere with the ability of district attorneys at any time to investigate and prosecute any suspected abuse or neglect. Executive Law Section 552, 2, A. At best, this provision reinforces the legislature's intent that the special prosecutor enjoys concurrent rather than exclusive authority. CL 2012, Chapter 501. Part A, Section 1. And concurrent jurisdiction, even if strained to mean that the district attorney has the power to intervene in any case, does not overcome the unconstitutional delegation of independent prosecutorial authority and discretion to the special prosecutor. We rejected a similar argument in matter of Schumer v. Holtzman and gave no effect to language in a memorandum of understanding that the delegation of authority thereunder was consistent with the district attorney's statutory accountability. Instead, we interpreted the memorandum to mean what the parties obviously intended it to mean, that the appointee was to have a free hand in all aspects of the delegated matter. Here, too, it is clear the legislature intended the special prosecutor to operate with a free hand in all aspects of the case despite the nothing herein clause in the statute. See Executive Law Section 552, 2, C. This court is not at liberty to save a statute by, in effect, rewriting it in a manner that contravenes its unambiguously articulated legislative purpose. Wood v. Irving. See Dietza. An attempt by this court to so limit the statute would, thus, be tantamount to wholesale revision of the legislature's enactment, rather than prudent judicial construction. We must, therefore, reject the Attorney General's proposed construction, see People v. Smith, declining the Attorney General's invitation to read into the challenge legislation a saving provision that, would require us to rewrite the statute. 5. We will, however, consider whether those unconstitutional subdivisions may be severed from the valid and the remainder of the statute preserved, Westinghouse elect. Corp. v. Tully. C. Wogan, holding unconstitutional only those provisions which interfered with the rights of the county clerk. This is a question of legislative intent, namely, whether the legislature, if partial invalidity of the statute, had been foreseen, would have wished the statute to be enforced with the valid part exended, or rejected altogether, people x rel. Alpha Portland Cement Co. v. Knapp. This principle is one of function, rather than form, and the answer to the inquiry, must be reached pragmatically, by the exercise of good sense and sound judgment, by considering how the statutory rule will function if the knife is laid to the branch instead of at the roots. Here, given that the purpose of enacting the Special Needs Act was to, 
bolster the ability of the state to respond more effectively to abuse and neglect of vulnerable persons, L2012, Chapter 501, Part A, Section 1. It is apparent that the legislature would wish that as much of Executive Law Section 552 aimed at protecting that class of victims as can be preserved remain in effect. Nor would excising the offending provisions leave the remainder without any beneficial impact. Therefore, while the subdivisions of the statute that provide the special prosecutor with the discretionary authority to bring criminal cases, see Executive Law Section 552, 1, 2, A, I, B, C. Must be struck as unconstitutional for the reasons discussed above. The portion of Executive Law Section 552, 1. That provides the special prosecutor with non-prosecutorial functions should remain in force. Likewise, we leave intact Executive Law Section 552, 2. A. I.I., which empowers the special prosecutor, to cooperate with and assist district attorneys and other local law enforcement officials in their efforts against abuse or neglect of vulnerable persons, without interfering with those efforts. Cooperation with the local district attorney furthers the overarching goal of the legislature providing resources to address crimes of abuse and neglect committed against vulnerable persons without infringing on that constitutional officer's essential authority. We have considered the special prosecutor's remaining contentions and find them to be without merit. We hold that Executive Law Section 552 is unconstitutional to the extent it empowers the special prosecutor with concurrent prosecutorial authority. Accordingly, in each case, the order of the appellate division should be affirmed. Decided on March 30, 2021. Decision podcasts by the New York Prosecutors Training Institute are made possible by Voice Pods. Convert your text to voice at voicepods.com. Read this decision at NIPT Law. www.nypti.org slash law.